What is going on, everyone? My name is Jonathan, host here at the Venue RX podcast, and I am extremely delighted to be joined today by Jordan Kentris. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show here. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Well, you have done a couple incredible things. And oh, most stop. <laughs> most recently, you have been nominated as uh, one of the most innovative people for from BizBash uh, in 2020, correct? Yeah, it was, it was amazing, surprised, it was grateful. It was awesome. Totally. Uh, so how did that come about? And what what tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so, I mean, I, I saw they were putting it out there and I was working with my publicist team about, you know, do we think that there's a chance here? Because, so I, my background's in stationary, but I've actually been in advertising for the past 14 years doing user experience design. And I've wanted to marry the two worlds together, so to speak. Um, and I've been dragging my feet and my husband's honestly been telling me for years, like literally four years, just like, just do it the, the same thing, just do it. <laughs> and when uh, the pandemic hit, all of my stationary projects and actually all of my advertising contracts stopped at the same time. And uh, I put all my thinking together and slightly pivoted the business in the sense of expanding my offering to do kind of customer experience work and user experience work in the wedding space, as well as wedding stationary and you know business branding and things like that. So I essentially actually finally merged my two businesses but it yielded some amazing results that BizMath, I guess, recognized as being what they were, which was awesome. So That's I was like beyond thrilled. How did you go? So previously you weren't in specifically the wedding or events industry. You did uh, web page design, UI design for websites, but not specifically in the wedding and event space, correct? No, no, I'm big corporate. So like my background's in like pure like advertising agency. Like, okay support a TV commercial with a $300,000 microsite. And you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> boring stuff, boring, light work, right? <laughs> Very interesting. Lots of people, uh, fascinating space, but I got to a point where I got a little stuck in, okay, like I don't feel like I'm, I'm creating anything with purpose mm -hmm. for a while. And then my brother was, I, I have a, like an obsession with paper. I've had it since I was a kid. Um, and my brother was getting married five, almost six years ago. And I was like, I would like to try doing your wedding invitation. And it kind of ballooned from there. I learned to letterpress, foil, laser cut, all on a tabletop press. Uh, the laser cut was like a cutter. It was a lot, of, a lot of things that I never knew how to do, but I printed like 1,500 pieces for his wedding. It was a really big Greek wedding, <laughs> a lot of people. Um, but for like my first project, it kind of like set my my kind of creative spark out. And I was like, this is what I'm missing. Uh, I needed to work with my hands and I kind of snowballed from there. I launched the business six months later, kind of publicly uh, as I as I kind of felt I was ready with a semi-custom line of suites. And then had kept doing the advertising side and always separated them. But um, yeah, it's been almost six years on the stationary side. Uh, and a year a bit with this with the merger <laughs> so you if i'm understanding correctly you've had this incredible background in in you know 
all the UI design, the websites, all of this, you know, corporate stuff. And then you have this kind of creative passion and you've done which is something I think so many people would love to do, which is marry the two and have this incredible product now that you're able, you're able to serve people in your creative space and, and make a full-time. So are you full-time with this now? Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's- it's, it's kind of insane. I really need like three people, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's just me. Um, the pandemic is harming because some of the stuff like production is really challenging because it is so time intensive and I do outsource some of it, but some of it, I'm like, it comes to my house and I have to do all the work for it. And I'm like, I can't have anyone else in my house. Totally. <laughs> Let's dive into the details a little bit more of what specifically you do. Cause you know, as yeah. I was doing some research, um, the, the piece that you add, I think specifically for virtual events to me is extremely interesting. And, um, but I, I think that there's a lot of crossover and a lot of value we can add. I, I think it was actually interesting. One of our kind of taglines here is from surviving to thriving in the wedding and event yeah. space. And that was actually a tagline that BizBash used when they were talking about the nominees. And so I thought it was really, really cool um, to see that because I, I definitely see that you've done that and you've made, you know, maybe not a complete pivot, but now what you're doing is this amalgamation of what you're truly passionate for, but you know, you're also able to make it a career. Um, how, so specifically, what do you do now? Is this pure stationary? Like, what do you actually do for the wedding and event space now? So stationary uh, for consumers. Okay. Uh, then I also do branding and like business cards and websites for vendors. Uh, and then I also do consumer research. Um, and web, <laughs> like for agencies still. So my, my kind of gamut runs all over there. But on the consumer research piece, that kind of works in both the wedding and uh, kind of corporate setting, but really understanding what your mindset is for the people who use your products, who are coming to your website, why they're coming to your website, why they would be hiring you as a client uh, or, or as a vendor. Like, what are they looking for? What are their needs? I do like personas and customer journey modeling to individual like uh, some like shop alongs, which is really fascinating diary studies, but essentially getting in the mind of the people who are buying the things that we're selling uh, and really designing our products around those needs or pivoting those things to say, you know, you are potentially not marketing yourself in a way that your clients are actually buying you. So if we're like our ideal client, this is a, a common thing that I find a lot of businesses have is like, my ideal clients age 25 to 35 who makes $100,000 a year and does whatever and likes art. And then when you actually go back and look at all of your existing clients and the clients who are contacting you, a lot of times they're not that. Um, and it's really making sure that you're speaking to those people. Like if you're constantly attracting a different audience, you want to be speaking to those people because if you're always talking to them this way, you're actually missing out on those opportunities with the clients who, who may already be there. Like you want to grow that, that up. And if you want more of those kind of clients, then you want to be, make sure you're speaking to them. You might need a secondary person you're talking to. Do you see a lot of small business owners that you work with? Um, are they trying to kind of redefine the community they serve? Are they trying to get away in, in some cases from maybe the existing client pool they have because maybe they want to serve people who are making, you know, 
some of those those metrics that you listed, right? $100,000 per year, but maybe their average person is actually making $50,000 per year. And so they're hiring you to kind of redesign how their brand looks and feels so they attract a higher clientele? Or do you find that the business owners are trying to just dive in deeper with their existing clientele? More so like targeting a new audience. Okay. Um, but then I also work on the strategy side to make sure that they're talking to the right people to begin with. Um, some people don't even know who their ideal clients are and who they should be talking to and how to market them. Like, I mean, as, as a small business, we have a million things going on. Like there's always, like marketing is such a different world. And I mean, I struggle with it in my own business, ironically, but I work literally every day in this space. Like it, it drives me crazy. It's like the irony is my website, I have like one in the works. It's been in the works for like a year. Um, <laughs> But I do so much for my other clients that I just don't have any time to do it on myself. And that's the thing that we all struggle with. So partnering with someone like me allows, I, I, I find allows a business to take some of that kind of like bias and objectification away because I'm literally like looking at what, what, who are you talking to? What are they currently saying? Who, let's look at your past 10 weddings. What did that actually mean for you? What, are they portfolio worthy? Are they the kind of clients you want there? What are nuggets you can take out of that to apply to the kind of clients you want to be talking to in the future? A lot of times I talk to people and they're like, who is your ideal client? And they're like, I literally don't know. Like, I just, I'm word of mouth and my clients just keep coming to me. And so then I'm like, okay, so is that the kind of people you want to be working with? And mm. sometimes it's yes. And sometimes it's no. And then we're like, okay, so who do you want to be talking to? So there's a lot of conversations there that I, I find I love it because it allows uh, a business to really kind of dig into things that they may not know enough about, but it's also getting them excited about talking to people again in, in different ways, because you're not just selling them on, if you're a florist, what can I do as a florist? It's really about like, what, what does this event mean in my client's life? And how can I, as a florist, impact that? Mm. Like, how can we have those conversations? Why do you think business owners often miss the mark. And, and I think it's really funny what you said. It's kind of this classic paradox of, you know, the video team has a site that doesn't have any great videos on it, <laughs> but they create all this beauty yeah. for their clients, of course, but then their site's not that great. But so why do you think that business owners are missing the mark here, even on something that may, they may be in the industry on? It's, it's hard to know. Like we're, so one thing is we're not our clients mm. as much as we'd like to think like, we design for them. We always design for ourselves through a lens of who we think we're designing for. And that's where the research side and even just having conversations with your clients is really understanding their needs. You can never understand a first time bride. Like you may have had that experience once, but once you have 50, 60, 100 events under your belt, you're no longer in that mindset. You're in, I need to make this much profit. I need to pay for my team. I need to cover these things. I want to go on vacation. I'm tired. Like there's so many other factors that are going in there and you're not necessarily in the headspace of thinking through what does this kind of client need? It even applies to some of our corporate clients where they're on a very different mindset of it's not my first thing, but it's the luncheon. It's the, it's my annual conference. I know it's different now, but now it's all virtual. Like how do I make this engaging? Mm -hmm. Like those kind of things we're not in that headspace. We're in a very different mindset. So getting into that takes a bit of work and a lot of practice. I mean, when I started out doing research, 
what I thought was the right way wasn't because I placed a lot of my bias and behavior in there. And you really have to find ways of stripping yourself out of, of those conversations and not leading conversations to get the results you want. There's some really interesting nuances that it comes with research about um, asking, I know we're covering a lot of topics here. No, um, it's perfect. But, but asking leading questions. So a lot of the times, you know, the, the kind of question of, you know, does this, does this shirt make me look fat? That's a leading question because you're essentially asking someone to validate your, your question, but rather than what do you think of my shirt is an open-ended question because you're not asking them for a specific result. You're opening yourself up for potentially negative feedback or positive feedback. So you have to be ready to accept that, but it essentially allows that freedom to the person to, to kind of step in and then you can see where opportunity lies rather than, do you think my website is awesome? Uh, no or yes doesn't really give you good guidance. It's, you know, I'm, I would like your opinion on my website. I'm, I'm updating imagery. I need to know what kind of imagery is resonating with me. That is a really interesting opening for someone to give you feedback in. Mm. Jordan, I love that you do this because I feel like, you know, you talked about removing your own bias. I think as business owners, as a business owner myself, it's my baby, right? Like I have sure. all the bias in the world. And so I'm here and I'm like, you know, it can do no wrong kind of, or maybe on the complete flip side, this is terrible. This is trash. I hate this. We need to fix everything. You kind of come in as this, this, you know, unbiased third party kind of objective viewer to like, no, actually these things are working. These things aren't working. This is what we should do moving forward. Um, have you felt, where are you located? I'm in Toronto. Okay. So you're in Canada. There, I think are a lot of similarities between Canada and certain parts of the U S as far as yeah. lockdowns, but certainly massive differences. And I think that's the same actually in the U S right. Yeah. Huge, yeah. huge polar opposites, you know, hundred percent capacity complete lockdown <laughs> like the pandemic never happened. <laughs> exactly. Full capacity at Rangers stadium in, in Texas and here in California, you know, we may be getting back to normal, normal in, in yeah. uh, June, like June, June, mid June, something like that. Um, have you seen a big difference in the type of voice or the type of approach that you've had to take with your clients as you're dealing with them in different places in throughout the world? Yeah, it, it, it definitely weighs in because there's a lot of different nuances that are are happening in the way that you have to market yourself in those audiences um, and, and those markets. So there's a lot of different things. So like when it comes to weddings that I'm working on, there's there's full steam ahead events. And then there are ones that are like, let's just hold off because we're not really sure if we're ready to go to print yet because we don't know if we're postponing, even though it's in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know our final guest count. So we don't know how much to actually print. So there's, there's lots of nuances in those conversations. All of my Toronto clients are on hold, but I have clients in, in New York and in San Francisco and all those, and those are all over the map. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of different conversations about what that market needs. But even when you're advertising outside of the world of, of that, it's, it is very market specific in how you position yourself and what those needs are, especially as you look at if you service a local market or a regional market or a national or international market, the way that you position your products and services definitely changes because you need to be able to speak the language of flexibility and travel and accommodation and, and different ways to comfort your clients, especially them knowing you may not be physically in the same space as them. 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that happens. Sorry. I, I think it's also interesting that there, even though so many people are doing things virtually, there still is a lot of movement. So your client in New York may also, their client might be coming from Texas or Florida, yeah. right up the coast, right? So there is, they have a lot to think about as well. Working with a vendor like yourself, who's able to kind of put those pieces together for them really means a lot from an unbiased standpoint. Um, that's huge. I totally love that. I want to go back and kind of drill into specifically what you do. Cause I think we're gonna have a lot of pros listening to this who are, who want to understand what you do and how, what you do or how, what they can learn from you will actually help level up their own businesses. Um, give me very practically a client comes in, I hire you. What do I do? How do you bring value to my event and, and make it better? So there's two ways I usually work with people. Uh, from an event perspective. One is hiring me for stationary, which is a very literal kind of behavior. So invitations, menus, programs, all those kind of things. Um, but I like to think of it through a kind of uh, a customer journey lens. So like what's the guest experience look like and mapping all the pieces out that we're working on and even pieces that I'm not working on um, to make sure that it's enhancing the guest experience. So if you guys are doing a custom drink wall, what can we include that would be uh, a branded in that sense? So are there vinyl decals that we're going to design? Are there unique ways that we can handle that, uh, that, that drink? I've done some really cool branded, like custom vinyl stickers that created personalized cans. So like we've had those conversations where a lot of time vendors are like, we want to do something interesting, but we don't know what yet. Uh, and then I can work with their vendor team to say, hey, this is some really cool ways we can do it. And here I can create the vinyl, the design for it. And then your vinyl printer who's local can go and print it. Um, so there are many different ways that we work in there. Um, then there is the other element where I work a little bit more on the consultation side, where it is there to help you find gaps in an event. Um, that can get enhanced outside of the world of stationary and event branding. So I can just kind of like see opportunities that may be uh, enhanced. So you essentially come in as like a, a, consult, a consultant, a couple hours, just really understanding the gist of the event. And then I can identify where there may be some gaps in just in my experience and where you might wanna, like, have you considered, uh, you know, this kind of element from a design standpoint? Um, so I can help on that side. Uh, the third way outside of events is consulting in your business, um, which we've touched on a little bit, but you know, where are you looking for kind of any customer data, customer modeling? I can help with that stuff, but then it's also your website, your logo, your branding. I do brand audits a lot of the time just to make sure that you're putting yourself out there in a way that makes a lot of sense to your audience and to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times, again, we get stuck. <laughs> Jordan, I'm hearing huge cross applicability from like this client journey idea and taking the client through this beautiful experience where from the invitation all the way through to the actual experience, whether that experience is in person or virtually, because there's this whole new world of like making it interesting. And we're going to get to that here in a second, because I have questions for you. Um, But I, I think from a, I think from a business standpoint, really, it's the journey that your clients have with you. It's, you know, how you're taking them through the experience of the first touch points, onboarding them, right? Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's so many opportunities 
within there. So I, I do work with brands and this is what I do on my corporate side as well is really understanding the full consumer journey for our clients. And as you kind of alluded to, Jonathan, it's what happens when they start to, when they come to your website, how are they finding out about you? And then when they inquire, what does that look like? Is it email? Is it meetings? Is it follow-ups? What does the follow-up look like? How does that get handled? What do the contracts look like? What does the invoicing look like? There are ways, there's all these different touch points to think through to make sure that we're, we're streamlining the experience for our guests and our consumers of our products so that they have the most optimal experience. There's a lot of times where, I mean, I know from my business, I use, depending on the market I'm servicing, I have like three or four different systems I have to use. Because if I'm invoicing in Canadian dollars or US dollars, I have to use different systems. So that interface is different. That invoice is different. If I'm doing a client who is on retainer, it is a different system that does automated invoicing because some of them are just different. It's just the way that I've set up my business. So making sure that all of those feel consistent for our clients so that they're not confused as to what they're getting, if they want to know how to you know, ask questions, also know what to expect. What do timelines look like? Uh, in my, I was a project manager for a period of time. So there's a lot of conversations that people have around how long does this take? What is the next step? When are we talking next? And what I look through in those kind of typical customer journey models is like, how often are you communicating with your clients? Is it enough? Is it too much? Are they getting all the details they need? And is there opportunities in there that, you know, are you sending them like a, is there a surprise and delight you can include in there that doesn't impact your bottom line, but gives your clients a bit of a, an, an experience they weren't expecting. Um, it, it could be a, a piece of mail. It could be an email. It could be a $5 Starbucks card just as like a thank you and can't wait to see you at our next coffee date. Like any of those things can make a huge impact in your client's kind of journey, especially because a lot of our, our clients are working with us for six months, a year, a year and a half, two years. Like there's a lot of touch points that are kind of, we get busy. <laughs> Things mm -hmm. happen. <laughs> um, do you do you think when you provide a better, just as a vendor, do you think yeah. when you provide a better experience for your clients, you're actually able to charge more because they feel more, more oh, yeah. catered to? Yeah, there's, there's a level of like white glove service. So um, it, it's how I work in my stationery is like, I want to make sure that my clients have to do the least amount of work as possible that costs more money um, because it's more labor on our end, but it gives them a sense of I'm being trusted by experts. It would be like hiring someone to, I don't know, do your grocery shopping. And then if you have to micromanage all of it, I wouldn't expect to pay the same as someone if I'm like, please go buy me apples and they bring me the best apples and I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I'd expect I'd have to pay a little bit more for that because I'm putting the trust on that business. Mm -hmm. And that's what our clients are doing a lot of the time. So they should be expecting to pay a little bit more for that. And it's set up in the way that you talk to your clients about that is why we're more expensive is because of the way that we handle your business. I love that, Jordan. There's such a interesting conversation happening right now about pricing in the industry. And I think there are a lot of clients that come through when they're either considering getting married or having an event or something like that, that they're actually shocked how much it costs. And I see all these vendors saying, you know, giving kind of these like horror stories about, oh my gosh, they wanted a $5,000 wedding and 
they expect us to be professional for that much. Well, I think that's not so shocking when you consider that a lot of times the professionals don't do the education and the client onboarding needed to actually show them that there's this gap. Like you could have your cousin freehand yeah. your, you know, your, your stuff and maybe yeah, it could be good. It might be good. Yeah. It might not be on time. It might not be, there might be spelling mistakes. There might be like little things. Crooked. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's a lot of different things that happen there when you kind of do a, a, a backyard wedding, so to speak, where it is family and friends helping and contributing. That's all great, but they may not realize that there are certain legal implications. Like for us, you have to have a ordained minister. It can't be your best friend to do it to officiate your wedding. Someone has to be an officiant to do it here. Like in Ontario, it's legally, they have to be approved by the, like you have to have someone else there to officiate. You can have someone read something and, and mock the ceremony, but someone has to physically say the part that's inefficient. So as much as someone's like, oh, I want to save that money, you're not necessarily going to save the money if you're not legally married here. Like, <laughs> there are things that they don't know. And that's our place to have those conversations to educate our clients what that actually means and why it matters. They can choose to only invest for that $5,000 wedding overall, but they have to realize the sacrifice and limitations they're going to have in there. And they only do that after they've talk to enough people to realize that. And I mean, some clients are super stubborn and are like, well, you're too expensive. So I'm going to go find someone else. And someone will likely fill a gap. There's always someone who's willing to do it. But I think it's on us as a business to, to say, you know, this is my line that I'm not willing to cross. And this is the line I am. Do you think the middle is clearing out? Meaning, do you think we're getting this separation of the the vendors and of course the clients that are willing to pay top dollar to get a premium experience, whether it's virtual or in person and really do the job. I don't even want to say right, but maybe professionally. And then the clients that are going to do it on a budget, they want to get married. It's only worth $5,000 to them because they really do want to invest in a down payment on a home or whatever. And so the middle is kind of clearing out. So as a vendor hearing that you're like, I need to be either pushing myself to be the best, or I need to consciously talk about volume because I know I'm going to be charging less. I think that there's, I'm seeing it, but I also know that there are businesses who are not charging what I think they should be charging, but are doing well. So I think that if you just kind of carve the lane that you want to be in and you're comfortable there, I think that's what makes the most sense. I, I don't ever imagine that there's going to be like $15,000 wedding planner plus percentage and $2,000 wedding planner. There's always going to be a medium. Um, but I think that we just have to understand where we want to, to be and what our overall trajectory is. Like, I mean, ultimately, some of us want to be doing five events a year. So obviously, we need to be compensated for that. But some people love having that volume. It's just, you know, as you kind of were saying, you have to decide where you want to be. Uh, and if you're comfortable doing, like, I have a florist that I work with often who has like 150, she had like, pre-pandemic, like 200 some odd events a year, but wow. she has a team who can do those things, but that's where she wants to be. That's what she likes to do. Uh, so that's where she's comfortable. So it just depends on what they want to be accomplishing and what their goals are for their business. I mean, we, as, and then as, if you're like a sole proprietor, you have to realize there's only so much you can handle <laughs> and totally. you want to make sure that I'm like, I'm not going to be like, sure, I can do 50 events a year. And that's one a weekend. <laughs> like do I really want to work every weekend you can ask yourself that question if you do and you can handle it great but how long can you sustain that 
Mm -hmm. at some point you're going to be like maybe i should do 25 or 30 or whatever you want to be comfortable with and then you have to accommodate your pricing there i think it also comes down to client wise what they're willing to invest is really about what level of service you're going to be producing so if you are going to be a little bit more expensive you don't want to be positioning yourself as a volume producer you don't want to be showing the kind of events that are what a volume producer is doing because that's the kind of client you're going to be attracting mm. This is huge. You know, I actually spoke with Megan Ely um, in season one of our podcast about how, you know, oftentimes pros will put out information, whether it's copy, whether it's pictures, they give an example of an audience or what a sample audience would look like or a sample client would look like. And then they attract more of those people. And it's like, I didn't want that. And it's like, that's the only thing that you're showing. And I think that's what you're alluding to a little bit, yeah, correct? There was, there was a naked cake trend for a long time. And I know a number of my baker, my cake friends were like, I, I'm, I'm done. Like, this is not a creative challenge for me anymore. And I'm like, so stop posting it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get why, but the more you show people, the more they want. So if all you do is post blush and white weddings and you hate them, don't post it. <laughs> Over time, like phase it out and start showing the things you want to be doing because then you're going to be known for those other things. But if all you do is post barn weddings as a photographer, your clients are only going to see you that way because they don't know you do anything else. And if you, all you market is that, then it's the case. Do you think as pros, as wedding pros, because what we do is so style driven and so aesthetic, like that's, you know, the pictures, the video that'll come from it, everything is, is driven to be beautiful and to fit a certain person's style. Do you think that we kind of unnecessarily obsess over one specific category rather than opening ourselves up to beauty in different forms? Yes. <laughs> I think that there's, there's a bit of like FOMO that happens, I feel like in our industry, when if someone, pampas grass is still big, uh, but as a florist, if I'm like, I need to have that in my portfolio because I think my clients are going to ask for that because that's what, you know, brides is showing and that's what the nod is showing frequently. And so clients are asking for that, but I don't have it, so they're not going to know. So I feel like there's a bit of that, that level. I think for me, it's really about where, where do I want to be? And if I want to have that in my portfolio, then I go and create that, or I go and have an event like that. But I think it also comes down to, is that going to be what is going to service me and my clients in the long run? Like, do I want to be doing those kinds of designs? No then don't do it. Don't chase that trend because there's going to be a new one in six months. <laughs> um, like there are ways you can accommodate those things. And I think that, I don't know, I think the, the pandemic has taught me a lot about like that sense of FOMO that I had prior. I've kind of learned to not necessarily factor that in anymore because it's really about like what is important to me and what is important to my business and what is important to the kind of work that I want to be doing. And if that isn't, pampas grass or a naked cake or any of those kind of things then so be it like then i don't do that anymore and when i someone inquires i mean i'm i'm of the mindset of turning work away that isn't a fit or do the work and don't post it like i know it's a bit of, of that like if we're if i need to fill my time and i don't have any events an event comes up that isn't the right fit per se just don't post it it doesn't mean it didn't happen Mm -hmm. uh, like there are ways you can do that. There is totally a different type of FOMO. I think that happens when as 
a wedding professional, you turn away business because it's not the type of business that you want to be doing yet. You think it's the type of business or it's just business at all. And so you need it. And, you know, in some parts of the country, of course, things are roaring back to life. I think we're going to see that steadily as different, you know, counties, cities open up, um, you know, countries as, as people are vaccinated, as different things are starting to happen, we're going to see that. But at the same time, all business, just because you haven't had business for a while, all business is not the type of business that you want. And it does take some bravery to say like, no. And simultaneously, then you have to focus on the type of business yeah. that you do want. Yeah, I mean, it is really scary, especially if it's quite a bit of money uh-huh. where you're like, do I, don't I? Like, <laughs> like that, that mentality happens all the time, but you have to take a look at, you know, if it's just, I need to pay some bills, do the job that if it's not going to be a sacrifice to you creatively and emotionally, like if it's going to be a nightmare client, don't take it regardless. Like that's just my personal opinion based on experience. But I know at the beginning of my career, it was like, I just, I need to be able to do so many events a year to say that I, I've made it. Like you be frank, you've never made it. Like, I'm, like <laughs> so I true. in my thing, like I'm not Mindy Weiss. Like <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not a, a giant well-known brand. Like it's it's not i don't know i mean uh, <laughs> it's never gonna to to be like i mean i, I was at wedding mba a couple of years ago uh as a vendor like as a i had a booth and some vendors walked up to me and i was like oh my god i follow you on instagram and i was like what <laughs> like it was like the most random like someone who was in california was following me and i was like i don't even know how you found but cool like it was amazing to hear and it was like oh that was so cool but I'm also like, I don't know. I, you have no idea who, who is following you, who's heard of you, any of those things. So I'm always of the mindset of I'm trying to push myself as a creative mm-hmm. and I'm never, like I'm always going to be iterating. And that's kind of like, I'm always going to be evolving. Mm-hmm. So my business will never be, you know, I'm never going to rest on my laurels because that's who I am as a business and as a creator is, is that that kind of, that drive is something that's always in me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I, I want to make sure my clients feel that as well. Jordan, let's shift a little bit. I think you've provided incredible value just kind of as you've been talking, but I know that there are pros out there. They're going to be thinking they want to level up their business. Maybe they need to redefine who their clients are. Maybe they need to do some of this work and they know it, they know it deep down, but they haven't yet done it or they haven't hired someone like yourself. So from a and, and I will put a caveat. I do actually think that the only way to really do a great job in this is hiring someone outside, or even if it's not hiring someone, just having someone from the outside take a look, because we are very subjective as we look at our own thing. But with that said, are there some first steps that business owners can do to kind of make a practical difference in how they create a user experience for their clients that actually increases their revenue, their impact, the way they serve? Uh, so first thing I usually, is even what I ask my clients is to do a bit of an audit of their existing process. A lot of times we don't actually think of it end to end. Like what is the whole year, year and a half long engagement look like? So, I mean, even as a business, you can do this yourself. It's just a conversation of, okay, so what happens when someone's going from my website to an inquiry? What's the email they receive? What's the touch point there? Like all those kind of elements I touched on, you can do on your own. Would you, you write... Can- Sorry for interrupting. Would you write this down? Would you, is this just a conversation to have with someone else? 
I write it down okay. because writing it down definitely helps you see it linearly. Um, and then you can start to have conversations. If you're going to talk to another vendor friend, they're awesome at bouncing things around. If you're like, those conversations are really good for specific things because they're not going to necessarily be able to get in the whole mindset. Mm -hmm. But if you're like identifying certain gaps that you're seeing in there to say, hey, I, I'm not doing this, but maybe I should, or I'm hearing that other people are doing it this way, or I've always wanted a digital proposal tool. Now's the time to look at it because you saw in your process that that is the gap. And if you're if you're doing a different proposal every time you're quoting someone, maybe you should look at streamlining that and get a little bit of time by writing that down and seeing that, that can help identify those things for you. Got it. At what point would you recommend someone brings in like, um, I guess what I'm asking is when's the best time to bring in someone like yourself? Like at what point can you have the best, most powerful conversation with a business owner to actually help them with this journey? Usually at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and that is because a lot of times um, as a business, once we start investing time and money, like out, so if you hadn't hired me, but you did a bit of work and you started with some logos and then, you know, you're thinking about updating your website and you're looking at templates, but you're looking in seven or eight different spaces, that's time and money you're investing. So you start to become invested in those platforms. And then if you bring in someone as a consultant to start looking at those things holistically, you can get attached to those things and then you're locked in. Like if you've already signed up for some of those demos or any of those things, you've essentially committed to some of those platforms. Or if you've done a logo redesign and then you've decided that you're changing your ideal client, that could be an impact because your logo might not be speaking to that new ideal client you wanna be moving towards in the next you know, 12 to 24 months. Like those are things you want to be thinking through in, in those conversations. Um, and I say at the beginning, just so that we can have those conversations. I may not be involved at the beginning, mm -hmm. but it's just worthy of having those conversations that, hey, you know, I think there's opportunity here for you to go off and research the best website platform if you're going to be hosting on your own. Here's some of the ones that I recommend. Now you go do the research and see which works in your, your price point. Here's what works from an SEO perspective. Here's what works from an XYZ perspective. Those are things that I can kind of recommend. And I usually do a lot of my clients um, in just those conversations because I want, like for me, it's really important that people are set up for success, even if they don't hire me. Mm -hmm. And I, it's like, it's, it's the antithesis of what most businesses do, I find. But for me, it's really important that people feel like they're set up for that success and they're comfortable. Um, so have those conversations early and then we can talk about what the next steps are uh, when it comes to identifying things from an event perspective that kind of comes into different plays i mean ultimately again the earlier the better because i can help make sure that you're budgeting the right things because a lot of times people come in on the stationary side to say well i've allocated fifteen hundred dollars for all the day of elements but we want a custom wall and bar menus and a vinyl dance floor graphic and foil menus and personalized calligraphy escort card. And I'm like, well, okay, well, you're at six grand there. <laughs> and they're like, how do we, how do we work backwards? Because you've committed your client in a mindset of, of this look and feel, but your budget doesn't allow that. So mm -hmm. then there becomes conversations pretty quickly as to what can we do feasibly within your budget? And how could we pivot the conversation with your client to say, 
we've allocated this much, this is what we can do here, and this is what we're gonna have to start sacrificing. Or if you're willing to invest more, here's what you can do. I'm hearing immediate advantages for someone who does a wedding package or someone who is in an all-inclusive type venue. If they've sold their client on a $30,000 you know, wedding experience, but then they have constantly been putting out pictures of this, all this elaborate stuff, they haven't properly allocated the correct budget within that. And so they end up either needing to cut corners in different ways, which will end up resulting in bad reviews and poor word of mouth referral. Or, you know, if you are a blank canvas coordinator or something like that, really doing a correct job of making sure that a package you have, a planning package, allows you to start early enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's making sure, even if you're like, I've worked with a number of venues to, consult on their packages and if they're stationary included in it, just to say, if they're like, we, we allocate $500. Okay, so then I'm like, logistically, you can get this for $500 and make sure that's included in there and then let them know that that's, there are options above that or if that's it. Um, I know destination is always a little bit harder because of mailing and all those things. So usually with those, it's fairly simple and straightforward because some of those clients are happy just to get whatever's out of the box. But it's just being realistic and setting that stage for the client to make sure they understand what they're getting in that package from a detailed breakdown perspective. Do you spend any time uh, looking into or have you uh, like done any research on NLP? A bit, yeah. My, my dad's been trying to get me interested in it. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but thinking like, you know, the whole neuralistic programming, like understanding experience, how human behavior changes, I think specifically on the side of the client facing, you know, client to um, consumer, you know, if, if they're your client and they're a professional wedding professional, you know, how they're kind of designing everything. I know um, the immediate thing that comes to mind is like Abercrombie and Fitch or, you know, casinos where they're putting oxygen in, in yeah. or they're, you know, Abercrombie just with the sprays, the scents, the, the vibe. Um, I think that's very much what you're doing in a digital sense or in a very practical sense when people are interfacing with a brand or a client is interfacing with, you know, their wedding, their, their guests, all of that. Um, that's super, super powerful. Jordan, this is, this is so cool. So when people want to reach out to you, how, how can they get a hold of you? Cause I think that's the next step. Like if I'm a pro and I'm listening to this here, I'm like, I got to call this guy right away. I have to figure this out because really there is an opportunity cost to trying to do it on your own. And I think you can do so much on your own. And I think it does matter who you are too. Like if it's you, you could probably do some of this for yourself, but if you know, you have other skills in other areas, it makes sense to hire pros just like you'd help level up your business. So how, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, my website <laughs> uh, is the best one, uh, a good day, inc.com. Uh, it's uh, and then uh, Instagram is probably the best on social for getting in touch with me. And that's a good day Inc. as well. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I, I actually would really love to do a follow-up at some point. Um, and just as your business continues to expand, I know, uh, I don't even think that we had enough time to talk about the digital side of things. And I'd really love to dive into that because I think hybrid events um, in fact, really quick, I'm curious, do you see hybrid events lasting longer than during this period of time where it's, you, you know, out of necessity? I, I don't think it's going to be necessity. I think it's going to be a value add to clients. Um, 
more so, I feel like hybrid events are going to be more popular on the corporate side than the social side, because there's only so much and client budgets are very different on the social side, like a live stream for a wedding is quite different than a basic videographer. Like there's a very different level of involvement, multi cameras, potentially there's constant internet connection, there's also a platform to stream against like there's a lot of different factors that go in there. But corporate, I feel like it's actually going to open a lot of doors. Like for me, logistically, I hope conferences go hybrid for the future because it allows me to go to a conference without actually being there sometimes when I might have an event that weekend or I'm not able to travel necessarily or like there are, it opens up the doors to a lot of conversations. There is value of going in person, but I'm hoping that these kind of things stay moving forward. Like I'm, I've honestly moved all of my consultations to virtual because it allows me to work with my clients a lot faster. Mm -hmm. um, we're not trying to coordinate and making sure that we're both you know, COVID tested and clean. And like, we're trying to go to a, a mutual space because I don't have consults in my house. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of different factors that have to go in there. And if I can have a virtual consult, like those are the things that I hope are going to stay moving forward because it allows our clients to be met in ways that are in their space and their level of comfort and their time. Um, I think selfishly on both ends, it is a very interesting conversation because it helps. There, there could be someone who's just radically creative and has so much value to add to an industry or to a discipline, but because they are not really interested in taking on the overhead of an office space or all of these other things that go with actually having a design studio, they may be not you know, really doing that. And now they can do it right out of their home with some simple equipment. You know, they yep. can set it up and it really it really allows so much more beauty and value to be added into the world um, in, in a much lighter touch way, you know, rather than it's, the, it's a small hinge that swings a big door. Oh, yeah. So cool. Jordan, thank you. I really appreciate you being here. And I, I know everyone's going to love this. I cannot wait for it to be released. And um, I'm looking forward to talking to you again at some point as well. So thank you awesome. so much for being on the show. It. Thank you so much for having me.